all and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Kubar. I have with me today a very special guest, Crystal Matar. Crystal, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, excellent, excellent. Sorry, guys, I got distracted. It was like <laughs> anything. <laughs> um, so, like we talked before we started recording, uh, for that first question, what has your writing journey been like up until this point? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been a long journey. Um, recently, my grandmother gave me some pictures that she had of me when I was, you know, single digit age, like maybe eight or nine or so. Um, and there's a family party in the back, and or there's a family party going on, and I'm in the background with a pen and a <laughs> notepad uh, writing stories. So yeah, it's just been um, it's been a long journey, um, and it it's been definitely kind of inevitable everybody who knew me knew that this was this was going to happen one day (laughs) um uh so i started i think i can safely say my first love was fantasy um and i i came up um in the 90s when there was there was a lot of really good stuff out um but then i I kind of wandered away and ended up in thrillers and mysteries and historical fiction and like just all kinds of stuff. So my writing journey and my reading journey has been all over the place. (laughs) Um, But then I just, I just got this idea and it wouldn't let go of me. I think my biggest problem before was finishing projects and this one wouldn't let me quit. Like I just, I had to keep coming back. So I started a draft, I guess, five or six years ago, or maybe more like six or seven years ago now, it's been out for a year. So, and it just, I had to tell this story and it had to be um, Tashway, my favorite character. And it just, it grew so much bigger and more ambitious than anything I thought I was capable of. And, um, but that means that it took a really long time. So it wasn't, I'm used to writing quick and dirty and just getting stuff out, but um, these stories I had to stop and think about quite a lot and revise even more. So the writing journey has been a many layered beast, I'd say, (laughs) and uh, well over 20 years now, showing my age a little. Well, that's really cool. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I had listened to someone's podcast recently and um, actually saw a quote um, by another author, and I think they were quoting this original author, uh, but they had said, you know, like like someone had asked them that question, like, how long did it take you to write your novel? They're like, oh, like a year and a half. And then really they said, wait a minute, now it's actually been like yeah. 15 years. Um, and I just, the person that I was listening to the podcast for just had an interesting response to that, and I really liked it. And you know, they said, like, you know, like, doesn't even matter, you know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. as long as it comes out, so, but I just thought it was interesting, they talked, like you said, these different layers, right, um, yeah, it just comes down to that, you know, that story, and, you know, when, when that story's done, it's done, right, it's kind of like you're cooking something, and, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Yeah, it's like, you know, you can make, there's some no-bake desserts that you can whip together yep. in uh, an hour or two, and they're excellent and they're great. But then there's also those French entremets that are made of 16 different layers of different things, and they take a long time and a lot of practice and a lot of uh, knowledge about what you're doing. And so, 
I feel like Brightwash was that second one where um, it, it took a long time and more knowledge than I had. I learned a lot about myself as a writer through writing that book. Well, that's awesome. I, I, I was talking to um, CM Quinn about that yesterday for our second interview. Yeah. And, you know, like um, just that whole learning process about different things. I learned that I really back myself into a corner when I don't do a better outline. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is, Some people can wiggle out of that, but. <laughs> well, I'm like, I, I, I'm not as good as it. I'm not as good at doing that right now. So I said in the future, now I'm, I like took a break from this one and I'm like starting something else and I'm like just doing the outline. <laughs> like <laughs> trying to get smarter, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, but it's it's really important to know what you need to make things work. Like you need to, everybody has different advice and everybody has different techniques, but the only thing that you you must do is you must figure out what works for you. And you, you got to learn how to ignore everything else because there's no point comparing. You just like, you can't force yourself to be um, a different writer. You just got to figure out what you're good at and roll with it. Yeah, and that's something that I learned. I think that's great. Uh, great advice, personally. I was just talking to a friend of mine about a couple of books that I had, you know, like, um, gotten, and I thought, oh, these are going to be helpful writing tools, but they actually weren't helpful to get started. They, I yeah. think, would be more helpful for, like, a draft two or maybe even, like, a book two, and I had talked to a couple people on the channel about you know, like sometimes the tool that you need isn't the tool for the job now, but it could yeah. be a really good tool later. Or maybe you just need some experience before, you know, using it. And I reference power tools all the time. So I used to teach industrial arts and yeah. stuff. I'm like, sometimes you just need a different tool. Sometimes you need experience. But when you actually get better at that tool, it might actually work for that job. So I definitely yeah, sometimes, sometimes you need a table saw. Sometimes yep. you need a... <laughs> Oh, totally. Hand saw, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just need a CNC machine, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's not going to learn, but yeah, that's really funny. I think that's that's great advice, though, personally. Uh, for that second question, like we talked about before we started recording, uh, so what genres do you currently write in? Uh, do you have any subgenres that you write in? So for now, I, I only have fantasy out. Um, I've I've written kind of all over the place just like I've read all over the place but um fantasy like I said was my you know my first love and coming back to it after some time off it felt a lot like coming home so I'll I'll be here a while I think um as far as subgenres go it's uh, uh kind of a Victorian murder mystery and it's kind of uh epic fantasy uh, it's kind of a military fantasy <laughs> um so it's a lot of subgenres smashed into one, just kind of pulling out all of my influences and pushing it into one story, even the influences that are from other genres. So I've taken to calling it romantic grimdark um, lately. Like <laughs> <'Cause> I <really laughs> it, yeah, it, I think it suits it really well because it's not, it's not, uh, <laughs> I didn't realize it was as dark as people find it. So <laughs> Um, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was like true grim dark, um, as I was, you know, coming into the industry. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's heavy <laughs> and I want people to know it's heavy cause I, I don't want them coming in and being kind of 
knocked back out again by how it opens. But then at the same time, I would also like to um, reassure people that there's there's light as well. There's hope as well. There's there's, you know, love as well. So it I think it 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 meets the, the criteria of both. It's romantic fantasy and grimdark. So romantic grimdark. <laughs> Such a good, it's like an Oreo cookie you get. Well, yeah, so exactly. Like so that's really cool. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that, first of all, because um, like I said, you know, I listened to you on the Wizard Words, Words podcast. I love when you're talking about, you know, your world and everything. And, um, you know, and the guys like Mike were talking about, you know, a few things when it came to your world building and I was just like oh that's super cool I'm a history teacher so I love anytime that somebody brings in a different era for fantasy and not just you know typical middle age is yeah being fantasy like just give me give me something at least a little bit different so that sparked my interest and I know I've talked oh to, that's good to know. yeah I've talked to a lot of other people you know and they feel the same way and um I think that you know um with your book and there's a lot of people um, particularly female authors within the last year who've had you know that type of um uh, i don't know if you'd say genre but that type of setting for fantasy yeah um, or i think it does it changes your subgenre quite a bit you know and i think it ends up being more interesting at least for me you know being somebody that likes that era because i get to see you know what you do with it um with the fantasy elements and it just again like you said right you, you're using the the worlds that you've known you know as a, a reader and a writer so to me that just makes it a lot yeah. more interesting so super super cool yeah the, uh, the victorian era is 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 fun to write about because it's it's just historical enough that it like it it feels different yeah. and and their values are are sometimes a little bit weird so it like it's a little bit whimsical and a little bit fabulous but it's also close enough to us that it begins to feel more familiar and it's i i, I find it's easier to ground myself in you know 150 years ago rather than 550 years ago so it just it's a fun one to play with where ever so slightly um you know closer to things that we remember and yet still totally off the rails somehow <laughs> So yeah, that I it's nice to know that people are interested to jump into that era with me. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that though because I do feel I do agree with you first of all because I, that's how I feel about urban fantasy, particularly writing urban fantasy because I and I actually like the same thing you just said. Like I actually like to go back. I actually have like a, a Roman military like fantasy I'm doing with like zombies. Okay. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, right. talk about smashing genres. Uh, Cameron Johnson has just been like with the Maleficent Seven. Has just been like a um, just like a hero of mine. So I'm like, you have somebody that took these two ideas and put them together. And I was like, I just I want to do something like Mal's and Book of the Fallen, where you get the you know the camaraderie and everything. But then I yeah. like the historical context, and I don't like the new um, research that they did on the Lost Legion. They said that it was a paperwork error. And that, like, one of the greatest mysteries was the clerical era in the Roman Empire. So, so I'm going to add something uh -huh. to it. But, you know, I just think that it's cool what you said, though, is, like, you know, you are taking, even if you do take, you know, like, something like Victorian or even, like, urban fantasy, I think that that's why a lot of people like it. Because you do take, you know, these, you're taking a world that you know, but then you're adding different layers to it. And yeah. you're, you know, adding some fantastical elements or different creatures or beings or something like that. And I think that's why, personally, 
um, seeing your book, you know, over the last year, year and a half, um, you know, on social media, everything, and people talk about it, and how many people I know that have read it, um, I think that's what a lot of, has drawn a lot of people to it, personally, um, it's just like you said, is that, you know, you're going back a ways, but not too far where it's, you know, it's not that different, but it's different enough where, you know, adding those fantastical elements to it, I think was a perfect idea, so. I think yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm delighted to know that uh, it's making such a big impression. I wasn't really oh, expecting yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> like I see you, Sam Quinn, um, your two books, like hers was like the girl of Ash and Shadow. So between your two, that's like all I've seen anybody um, in terms of February she wrote sharing, which is pretty cool. And I was like trying to tell people like, hey, they're going to be on my podcast. So make sure <laughs> Um, like it, share it, and maybe go buy a physical copy or, you know, buy the Audible. Be like me, buy a, a Kindle, a physical. <laughs> Can't argue with that. I was teasing Kevin Kern a, a, a couple months ago because I, but then I was like, I bought all those of every book, and then I um, went and bought my friends the books. So I was teasing him. I was like, have I bought you a new boat yet? Like, <laughs> And I was like, say to my friend, he goes, do you think that's like your number one person? I said, well, it's an urban fantasy that, you know, I think a lot of people could get into. It's got strong female characters and it's like, you know, it's kind of like, it was kind of like my first stepping stone in urban fantasy. So I got a connection to it, but yeah, yeah. some out there, like <laughs> buy them for them. I'm like, I know this person, buy their book. Like <laughs> some books just land like right in your soul somehow where yeah. just like, exactly the right time for exactly the right book and you just yeah. like they just get you yeah that's a good that's feeling okay. yeah no it's totally true i like how you said that i think that's that puts the feeling that i have for that yeah series yeah for sure for sure all right so this is about to be my favorite question that i've done well no offense to anybody uh so first of all before we get to the question uh can you tell us a little bit about your book legacy of the bright Bunch? Uh, so, like I said, it's romantic grimdark. Not like anybody doesn't know, but um, it, romantic grimdark. It's uh, it starts with um, kind of a murder mystery, but um, it's not. He's not a detective. This this isn't his job to solve this murder, but he can't help it because it's a child, and he's the kind of guy that that impacted him really deeply um and so i had i had a lot of fun taking certain tropes that people know from fantasy um especially more forward uh time periods um and just kind of turning them just a little so so Toshway is um you know the grizzled old veteran character and <laughs> drinks too much whiskey and smokes <laughs> too much too much stuff and um but but he's also um he's a father and it's a big part of his personality and it's it's a big part of everything that drives him just being a parent and trying trying to make the right choices in a society that hasn't set him up for good choices so um he's trying to solve you know the murder of this child but he's also trying to come to terms with his participation in a society that is um, predatory towards people who use magic. And he's trying to figure out his place in everything. So I think that's the most I can say without spoiling anything. But it, it takes place in um, 
kind of a almost like a Victorian Montreal um, up here in Canada, where the city is big and urban and uh, busy, but it's surrounded on all sides by wilderness and they're kind of out there. Um, so it was fun to take fantasy and bring it home to Canada um, and give it some wilderness uh, stuff that I can use later in the future. Not yet in this book, they're all, they're in the city in the first book, but um, I, I like, I, I like fantasy that's uh, outdoors and cold. <laughs> I think all of my favorite books take place in the winter. I'm not sure why it must be in my DNA as a Canadian. <laughs> um, so that, that I'm looking forward to a lot of that. I'm also looking forward to um, finally getting to lean harder in, into the military fantasy eventually. <laughs> Once I get them out of the city, things are going to happen. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I didn't know that. Um, I hadn't heard that. Uh, I heard you say that in some of the interviews and things. So that actually, that's really neat. And from, I just thought it was interesting when you're talking about the opening of the book. And I, I just do have to share with the audience that um, different people I have listened to and talked to um, who have read your book, particularly the first couple of chapters, say that that's like the way to start a book right there. <laughs> they like, I'm glad to hear it. So I'm like really excited for that. Um, just from like, well, from a reader's perspective, also a writer's perspective, um, always trying to study what people do really well. So, but apparently like your first couple of chapters there, um, you know, were a big hit, obviously. Um, and then they said it really, I have my notes here, they said it really, uh, really heated up the story very quickly, had the story going um, at a really good pace. Um, yeah, so I think that's like really great feedback personally. <laughs> that is good. That, that that is really good. It actually I didn't always start it there. I started it um at a different spot. It used to start with him visiting his son. Um and the it it didn't set the pacing right, even though his his son is obviously really important. Um it just it, it sat wrong but it, it stayed like that until nearly the end of my revisions and then suddenly there was just this light bulb moment of no hang on I know where I need to go <laughs> so it's it's interesting to to hear that it's hitting so well because I I don't know I it feels like with the debut you're taking a lot of shots in the dark yeah, yeah, yeah. well I've, I've talked to a lot of people that um you know said that that really worked for them um, and that really set the expectation, um, you know, for the book, for them in a different way from what they were thinking. Um, and from what I was able to talk to them about without them spoiling it for me, <laughs> to me it sounded a lot interesting um, of a start than, you know, maybe, you know, some that I would have done myself. So kudos there. Um, <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> I was like, I just got to get some of my reads up so I can get to your first chapter, apparently. <laughs> to see what happens so it's heavy I, fair warning it's heavy it's, it's, but it's it seems to resonate most with parents um and people who just generally really enjoy children because it it it's heavy yeah, yeah well i think that's why you know i talk i talk to a lot of writers like myself who like different authors who are teachers um and like nobody teaches for the money so I think yeah. that you know, like that I think that's why it's resonates so much with my particular friend group um you know, because we are teachers and um you know we um you know we, we love the children we work with and um you know like shame on you if you do something to one of them and I think that's, <sighs> that's 
centers on two parents and I, I I I don't think I could have done it any other way I think it was always going to be like that because it just it it you don't see enough parents in fantasy oh. um, and it's it's time for some older protagonists and people who have children and you know life doesn't end when you <laughs> have children you continue to exist and potentially continue to do your job yeah. so you know it's it, I I've seen a few books lately with parents as as main characters, and I'm really glad to see it. Yeah, it is. A, you do bring up a really good point. That I do want to mention that it is. I do agree with you. It is an untapped market, you know. And yeah. You talk about the amount of stories, characterization, you know, the the different themes that people resonate with. I mean, I think that I think you hit on something really good there. And you know, I hadn't thought of that before this interview. But you know, you saying that, I mean, I I guarantee you that's why you know a lot of parents, you know, that I know have also the books resonated with, you know, so I definitely think you're right there. That's an untapped market, particularly yeah. fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah, because we, a lot of, so many of us grew up on it, on it and, you know, we want to stay here and we want, we still want to see ourselves in this genre because we, you know, we're, we grew up on this genre and uh, we deserve to be seen, <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, that's totally true. It's like um, the Rangers Apprentice series. Um, with um, like on his, I always mess his name up. Um, it was John Flanagan. Um, but he um, he ended up going into another series where like his main character was young, and then ended up having his own daughter. Then he goes into the Royal Rangers series. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I do only know of like a couple of instances where people have done that. So you yeah. kind of I find wondering a little bit. Now, like maybe, yeah, now you're gonna you're gonna be on the hunt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I do. You know, I mean, I'm I'm older now. Like we're trying to have a baby, and um, you know, I've, I have three nephews now. Two of them are under one. You know, and it's like, oh, me, I just love time. You know what I mean? It's it's a different, yeah, right. It's a different part of my life, and it's a different part for your fantasy characters as well. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting that I've never thought of that before. It just blew my mind there. So. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> but it gets you thinking about characterization in a totally different way, you know. And then I think it also yeah. what other relationships or characterization am I do we have in our everyday life that is not present and that would make a really interesting story, like, you know, um like the parents you have in yours. So I think yeah. that's something great for people to think about. It's super cool. Third question. So what sort of, I'm really interested in this one. What sort of approach did you take in writing Legacy of the Bright Watch? Like, how do you come up with that type of idea? So it's, it's going to be a long answer. Um, also, so I've been writing about uh, my main character, Toshway, for about, um, I, I think, 19 years now. So well over half my life. Um, and it, for whatever reason, I always wrote either about him or I would write fantasy novels and I would have trouble finishing stories, um, partially because I didn't know how to, um, how to use my skills, 
best, but also because I would, I would write fantasy for a while, and then I'd miss writing about Joshua, so I'd go back to him, and I, I'd write him for a while. He's got a couple of no, of uh, cop novels, um, but then I'd miss fantasy, so I'd go, I'd leave him and go back, and it just like always kind of back and forth, um, and so there came a point, I guess, after I had one of my children where I just I was tired of missing something I was tired of missing Koshway and fantasy so I was like well let's do both why not let's see what I can do and I knew immediately he wasn't he wasn't going to fit in you know 1500 or even 900 or any of that it just it didn't fit his personality so I went forward forward as far as I was interested in going which landed me in the late 1800s and just dropped him in and said let's see what we can do <laughs> um, and so his last novel was um, he was an ex-homicide detective chasing a serial killer it was very trophy and it was very bad but I loved him um, and I when I came, when I brought him to fantasy, the, the instinct to bring that that protectiveness um, and that sense of fatherhood and that sense of uh, you know protecting the innocent came too. So I was trying to build this big epic fantasy novel, but he was he had other ideas <laughs> about <laughs> you know he he remembered how you know just that that part of that story just almost became part of his character and part of his personality and uh so i i put in i i was trying to figure out you know what what kind of economy could i build in my time period based on magic and something that we know about that time period, the late 1800s, is it's, it's the rise of the industry, but it's also not a great time to be poor, yeah. um, not a great time to be working class either. And it, it, that was a fascinating idea of building an industry on the backs of magic users so that they are second class citizens rather than something special. So that all of that kind of came together. Um, <sighs> I can't explain how without. <laughs> I, I almost, I almost, I almost said it, and then I remembered that <laughs> this isn't a spoiler podcast. But it all came together, and then, you know, I wanted to write about um, a city that I was familiar with instead of jumping across the pond, and I wanted to bring in some things that um inspired me like the Canadian wilderness and um just the you know the the way we built cities and just so it became an exercise in writing about all of the genres that I like to read with the Victorian historical fiction um cop thrillers um political thrillers and fantasy so my approach was just, if I'm going to make a career out of this, I'm going to do it all. <laughs> and um, I don't think I realized how hard that was going to be, balancing it all. And um, But it, it's really good to see that people are, are resonating with that balance. Most, most of the time, it's working for people. And that's, that's really exciting, because I think... Um, 
yeah, <laughs> I I don't think I would have done that if I had already published before, or because now that I'm published, I know how challenging it is to sell between genres. Um, but before I wasn't published, and I, I had no idea how much of a risk I was taking, and I, I don't know that I would have taken that risk if I had known, but fortunately, I took the risk, and it's paying off, so it, it's funny, when you don't know what you don't know, you do crazy things, and then maybe it works out. It's like you're playing with the house's money, because you don't know any better. So just exactly, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it worked out, so I'll, I'll keep going, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I just, I think it's funny that you even mentioned that, because I do think that, you know, I've heard that quite a bit recently with people who had said the same thing, you know, with their first release, and they're like, oh, well, it was gutsy, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, I don't know, maybe that's the way to go, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think people respect uh, passion, and people respect um, big gambles, um, and if it, if it works for them, then they they really it 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 makes it more memorable when they can tell a writer really really believed in what they were doing. Well, I think another I, thing too, like I definitely agree with you. To build off that, I just think that you know from talking to people who have read your book, I think that they're like me, where like I I like think of like a nice way to put it um, for other authors, but like. Uh, <laughs> Maybe some of us need a little bit more of our out of our fantasy than, like I was saying, like your typical, like I'll still read, you know, classics or whatever, your typical European fantasy or whatever. But I just think that now, like, especially like with your setting, like it just sounds so much more interesting. Um, you know, I obviously like I teach history and stuff and I bring a lot of that into my own writing, you know, to try and show you know, different struggles of people, stuff like that. And I, I do like that, you know, when you're talking about making, you know, the magic users, second-class citizens, it seemed like it's a simple idea, but it's really not when you think of it from a writing standpoint. Like, that is such a big yeah. piece of world-building that's, like, just such a great idea. And I just think that some of us really, that resonates with more because we just want more out of our fantasy. And we love it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, we just want more from it now. And the fact that you put so much into it you know with different elements and structures you know like i have been thinking of something similar i like i love mysteries um you know, i think it'd be cool to do like a um a, a fire elementalist who solved csi crimes in a fantasy setting somewhere yeah see like i i i would read that because <laughs> i i agree i i agree i i love the genre um but it's really interesting to see people take it um from different angles and just kind of breathe a little bit more of themselves into it where you know it, it is a, a really amazing place to be as far as a genre go because you can do you can do almost anything like yeah. it, you're limited only by your imagination and your imagination can expand you can research and you know pick up all kinds of different things and really go places so yeah i all agree that i i i've never known if it was just because i i also read outside the genre you know like i i i read uh, dennis lahaney for years and he's a he's a private eye type yeah, yeah. um and so 
when I, when I come to fantasy, I just, I kind of want it all. Like I, <laughs> I want, yeah. So I just, I just did it all when I was writing it and I'm glad it's turning out. <laughs> well, you look at, you know, like I just, I like look at you or Fonda Lee, you know, when you're like James. Josiah Bancroft is another yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. And I just see, it, especially the last few years, I just, I see fantasy changing and I was just talking to a buddy of mine about this, a writing friend, and we were so excited to see, you know, books like yourself where we're like, see, like, because I actually think that what it does is it, it sparks, I know it sparks my imagination, you know, and it really makes you, I, you know, not that we're, I don't know, I don't know if you saw like last year where everybody was saying like, in the indie community, like, are we friends or enemies you know like are we competitors and i'm like well i consider everybody absolutely yeah that one <laughs> i think i i feel like you learn a lot about the people around you when conversations like that come up because it's like i i thought we were all friends too and all the people that i've been around are like we're not competition and so i was like yeah i found the right people this is perfect <laughs> it was so funny because i was like i i like i was talking to uh I think it's Mallory yeah, Mallory Crude and I were talking about it in our first podcast together, our first interview. We were like, we saw it at the same time on back okay. in the summer, and we were talking about it on Twitter. And then we talked about it in our interview, I uh, heard early fall, and we were like, what? Like, we had no, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny that, but it does though, you know, like, I, I don't consider like you or anybody like competition. I just consider like, I just want everybody's books to be read and I want to read everybody's books. But I generally, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> Generally, people can read a hell of a lot faster than any of us can write. So, like, and and so when when we all lean on each other, there's there's a lot of bleed, and I I do notice that where there te there tends to be a lot of bleed between me and my friend circle, where you know someone will come in and read one of our books, and then kind of like connect the dots around the circle and read one from all of us, and then go off and find some other friend circle. So it's like, yeah, absolutely, the the rising tide. Uh, how does it go? The rising tide uh, floats all ships. I think that's yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why that's why I'm saying, like, you know, you you take a you know a book like yours, you know, and the ideas there, and I just think that it really, really just make everybody. They just write yeah. everybody for the genre, you know. And I had a couple of people where they were like, "Well, blah blah blah." And I'm like, "No, I'm like the fact that you have a more complex story idea and you're taking elements from different genres." I said, first of all, it is fantasy." I said, you know, like, um, um, uh, I was talking to uh, Diane Dotson about this too, you know, because she's got uh, like heliopause, like her book, Woman I Just Ordered, and she takes it's a science fiction setting, but she has fantastical elements and characters. Oh, cool! You know, like 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 Star Wars, you know, and it's not yeah. hard to find, but you know, and I'm like, man, as a science fiction, you know, wannabe writer someday, I'm like, that like her ideas were like astounding to me and mind blowing. <laughs> You know, it, it really makes me, not that we're competition, but it makes me like, feel like, okay, it's like we're all on the same team, like, I, you know, athletics team. And I see you, you know, you guys are yeah. fast and I'm like, well, I can't be the slow one. You know, I have, to, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I think it really does like, you know, there's certain books like yours that really raise the genre up. Uh, and I've had quite a few people where I've talked to about your book and that's what they've said, you know, is it really sets a different standard for what. Oh, geez what readers are expecting you know. <clears throat> but i definitely think you're one of that the new wave i would say within the last couple of years that really shifts what fantasy is about you know because again you know your setting even really makes i've talked to 
several authors within the last month or two who have, you know, referenced uh, Legacy of the Brightwash and talked about your setting. And, you know, I, I just think it makes it better for everybody because, again, it really makes you think like, okay, am I just doing something that's atypical or do I take some chances and actually give people a really good story? So I just, yeah. you know, how to go. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like my only competition is myself. And it's like when I see other people come up with really good ideas, it's like, yeah, I want to I want to do something like that. And I want it to be better than anything else I've done before. So it's like, yeah, uh, I'll definitely. I like came home the other day yelling and my wife's like, are you OK? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I was like listening to somebody's like podcast about something like their idea. Uh, and their new novel that they have. And I was like, come <laughs> in. In my writing time, I was literally yelling at myself. I was like, get to the basement. Get to your desk. <laughs> Do something really good. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I was like, I got to get into the cave and, like, you know, like, get get it done. Like, I don't know. I was, like, trying to talk myself up. I was like, I was like Tony Robbins or whatever. I was, like, trying to trying to go. And she was just laughing. I just went right down there and started writing something that wasn't nearly as good as the person that um, I was listening to. But I was like, <laughs> I was trying to yeah. get better. I was trying to do my part for the genre, but <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to tell that story on here, but that's okay. No, I love it. That's a great story. <laughs> Last Friday, so <laughs> that's really funny. Um, for that fourth question, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say for this. Uh, what are some writing tips that you have, or maybe some strategies you have when it comes to the world? Oh, that's a tough one. I think. <sighs> I think you have to lean into what interests you the most because um, everybody world builds differently. And I, I, I won't be presumptuous to say that any particular way that I did it is better. I think the, the way to get the best out of your own writing is to lean into the things that interest you the most and explore those things as much as possible. Um, with research and, you know, um, with your own writing experiments and just kind of find a balance of how the world um, affects how the characters can move through it because that way it feels, it feels relevant that way. You know, like you can, you can write, you know, pages upon pages about, you know, the economy of, of your world, but it, it matters in the sense that those possibilities and those limitations are going to directly impact the people you have in the story. And it's potentially going to impact the direction of the story. So for me, when I was building this world, you know, my interest was um, an urban setting surrounded by wilderness, um, so how do, how do they get around? Like, so those cities could be really big. How did they get around if they didn't have trains like they do they did in early Europe? Um, how does trade come in on the river? How do, you know? And so I would collect things that I thought were really interesting from our own history and twist them to suit the economy of a magic built industry and so the more the more i knew the more leaked in and the more um it impacted and uh kind of 
pushed the story into its own natural direction. Um, so, you know, and all of that is to say that if it's not interesting to you, it, it's not worth your time. Um, and I think, I think some people make the mistake that they have to, they have to build certain things in order to, to write a good world. But it's like, if it's not interesting to you, the writer, then you're just, you're just kind of taking time away from things that could be, you could be really passionate about. And that passion leaks through. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think there, there's no hard and fast rule of how it must be done, but passion will uh, help a lot. And, and if you're not interested in what you're building, then find a different, build something else. Because we don't need to know everything about the world, but if, if you know what's most interesting to you, it, it comes through in the writing and it comes through in the story. And then it feels essential and it feels really interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm going to reference again the Wizards Word of Words crew because they were talking with Brian Stavely. Um, I think it was Mike had mentioned, it was either Mike or Dirk were both talking about your city. Um, you know, almost like its own character um, you know, in terms of the world building. So I do like how you mentioned that, you know, like the world pushes the character. Um, but I do yeah. know it was interesting because I had never considered that before. Um, but yeah, they had referenced, um, you know, your main setting um, for this book and then um, Brian's um, for Skullport, I think it was. Um, so yeah, so if anybody has a second, check that uh, those two out. Uh, as a part one and part two is really good, but yeah, they referenced your book a lot. Said <laughs> I think it was in the first. Interview. Yeah, the this like, yeah, Yale's mirror became just because I was just so interested in how how the economy and the growing industry and where the wealth sits um, in the city, or not in the city, in the in the country, in the nation. So they're they're close to the nation's capital. But in some ways, they have more power because they have a uh, more industry, and you know. So it just <laughs> my my uh, my history geek kind of fell through, <laughs> and I was just I was just really interested in the in the setting, um, and also the weather because, like I said, I, I really like books that take place in the winter, and so so then there was a lot of thought experiments of well, how are they heating if there's no gas? Um, how are they lighting their their houses? It's dark at like three o'clock in the afternoon at this latitude. So, how, like, what are they doing? There's no, um, they haven't invested in electricity yet because they have all these magic users that they can yeah, yeah. depend on. So it just it it came out of a lot of why why are, why are they doing it this way? Why didn't they do it this way? And how? And so asking myself those questions built built the city in my head and so it made it more natural once they had to interact with it and then so and then referencing writing about your interests I love cooking and I love food and I love food in fantasy and so a lot of my questions had to do with how is this train wreck of a human keeping himself alive when I know for a fact he does not cook <laughs> so what what is available to him um, and, you know, at that time, it was really hard to get safe water to drink. So what are they drinking? Well, the answer is a lot of beer. <laughs> and <laughs> and so I got my own hashtag of <laughs> Brightwash and Booze because there's so much beer in the book that when people read it, they want to have uh, 
beer too. So it's just it's just asking yourself why. And if the answer is interesting, keep at it, you know, keep going. I I think that's how I, I ended up where I was. That's really cool. I, I like how you mentioned food, like um Warbreaker with Brandon Sanderson. I never had considered like food or restaurants, but he like had written his in a certain way and like they had to figure out like how that he got his ice for like their oh. smoothies. Yeah. And it was like it was so interesting. And I was like, I wanna hear more about the restaurants and was, <laughs> he wrote them differently than your typical inns and stuff. So it was very it was very cool. So I definitely think food is a everybody loves food. We should um, Yeah. That's a great world building tool that I don't think a lot of people still really you know, really use or really think about. So I think that's... Uh, yeah, and if it's something that interests you, you know, it's such a great way to build um, the, your reality because unless you're writing a rice that doesn't eat, <laughs> everybody needs to eat every day. And knowing how they're getting it um, and what's available and um, who isn't getting enough and how they handle that and whether or not the government cares whether everyone's getting enough, you know, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of world building just in, in food. If you're interested about it, if you're not interested about it, it's not, it's not worth because it, it's a lot of effort. It's funny that you said that, like, there's this really good book that um, we had just written last year, where it was like the power of food within society. And yeah. they actually did talk a lot about like our struggle with different classes with, with food and, like its availability and stuff. I'm totally working on what it was called, but my wife was reading it for a little bit and I had a couple excerpts from it. It was really good. So I definitely think, uh, you know, it's some good resources out there for food in particular. So I definitely agree. Yeah. It is funny that you mentioned that though, like, you know, in terms of like races that don't eat or something like that. And I had talked to a buddy of mine. So just as a, for instance, for world building, like I was trying to, I like elves, but I don't like your atypical elves. So I like things that are changed. Um, so I had taken them where it was like, they, I gave them chloroplast skin and made them half a plant. So that's really cool. Yeah. Right. And, uh, it came from like this conversation that I had overheard on someone else's podcast for world building. And I thought, oh, well, that's like a simple change. So you don't really have to explain too much. Right. But it does explain some things, right. They don't have to sleep, um, which is your atypical, Mm -hmm. you know, so I kind of took a lot of those things, you know, that were atypical. But now they're different and they're explained in a very simple way. Uh, they're attuned to nature because they're half plant. They don't have to eat, um, you know, just different things, um, you know. And I do think that people sometimes, I know I overcomplicate world building. <laughs> um, well, so, you know, you, you got to, you lean in into the things that interest you and you lean in and you can stay with it as long as you want. Like, so long as it's, it's, bringing you joy like why not but then when you when you start letting it meet the plot you you it, it is good to trim it back and and lay it in gently and let people kind of come to it with you um and it, it, but if it interested you that much I honestly think that it, it's good to to play to your strengths um somebody somebody that I know is writing a story where um the world is built it's populated by like mushroom beings so they're they're sentient like uh, i'm not i'm not even sure how to how to describe it but they're just they're just sentient um mushrooms and so he like he's just 
he's leaning into it so hard and it's so cool. I've never seen anything like it. And the things that we know about how mushroom mycology communicates and interacts right now, it, it's, it's made a really cool magic system. I, I think, I think I've only read a bit of it so far, but it's, and you can tell he's loving it. You know, you can, you can see the passion in it. Um, and I think it's going to be an amazing book once he, once he gets it all together. So, you know, there, there, there is always the danger of overcomplicating, but generally if, if it's blended smoothly into the premise of the story, like if, if those things are important to how the story is going, you can lay it on really thick and just like, just build it out and let it be, let it really live and breathe. And so, yeah, I, I'm all for people leaning into their strengths and their passions. I think that's really great advice. I hadn't really considered that, but I think that's where I have been able to write more recently because I've been yeah. I think that's just perfect, perfect writing. Yeah, and like if, if you're enjoying it, you're more likely to, to get through the dry spells and the hard steps, you know? Like if you if you are excited to sit down and, and solve these problems, then you're more likely to finish it and, yeah. and get it to re revised and edited yeah. and get through all the setbacks and get through all the times where life doesn't seem to want to let you get, you know? But so, yeah, I, I'm all for people leaning into their passions and and the, the great thing about passion is you know okay Logan that's enough um sorry um we love familiars on the show yeah. he's trying to he's trying to eat my hand though so it's not great um what did I say the thing about passions is that there's always going to be somebody out there, readers out there who are interested in kind of the same cross section of things. And so your, your ideas are really going to resonate with them. So it was, it was, it's going to be worth taking the chance. Yeah, I think, I think that's great advice. I, uh, yeah, you have to be really thinking about it in a different way. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go, when I go do my writing after this later tonight, yeah. I'm really like, I'm going to have to think about it, you know, cause I think you're totally right because I was like really struggling with some things that I'm like, oh, this seems interesting. I was like, I'm just gonna switch to this. <laughs> yeah, like chase chase the things that really light you on fire because yeah. then you're more likely to be sustained through the parts where it's harder. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's not it's not easy this thing that we do. Yeah. So we're, if we're not loving it. Yeah, like you're literally taking. I was just talking to someone about this, like on the podcast, like you're taking something that does not exist, right? Yeah, literally creating an entire world in your head, and then you're yeah. putting it on paper to make it make sense to everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's hard. It's it's really yeah. hard, and it's it's scary and it's risky, and and you know you run up against things that undercut your confidence. But if you if you created something that you really believe in, it it sees you through those dark moments where you're not sure and you don't know if you can keep going you know so yeah no i totally agree with that that's an excellent point uh for that fifth one what is one writing tool or strategy that you have found to be valuable uh as far as a, uh, a tool goes i i do really like scrivener i'm on team team oh. scrivener um <laughs> <laughs> represent i think Especially because I write 
big books. Um, and I don't necessarily know the order of things until I'm like, I, I, yeah. So the ability to just see all my scenes at a glance and move scenes, like moving a, anybody who knows moving a scene or a chapter in word is a nightmare. Um, (laughs) so for that and for my style, I, I really like Scrivener, but I don't think it's something that's necessary unless you need some of those things. So like people can do great stuff on word if, if they write pretty well, um, what am I trying to say chronologically like if they're able to go point a point b point c and just right through then you know whatever works for you but for me and trying to figure these big long timelines out and it I like Scrivener a lot and then as far as strategy goes what I learned um in Brightwash is that revision <laughs> revision 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 <laughs> yeah I um I wrote what turned out to be um possibly a series of four books um in a really really bare and messy first draft to a point where it's almost an outline like it it really blurs the lines between whether or not it's a draft or an outline because some scenes are just a couple of words of this needs to happen here and then I'd keep going um but you know you can't you can't fix something that's not finished and so it's okay if you're lost and muddled and just just finish it and then um you can you can fix it you can go back and you can revise and so that that's what I learned about my my skills specifically that it's like I, I can just like throw stuff at the page and if I can get to the end then I can go back and figure it out and make it make sense eventually but it it it's it takes a lot of revising but it, it gives me permission to take big chances and big risks um because I know if I put it in um and it doesn't work I can take it out but I would rather do that than be afraid of taking the chance. Um, so you, you can't fix a draft that isn't finished, but you, you can revise one okay. or you can, you can revise a, a pile of crap. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is again, why Scrivener is the tool for me because my drafts are, are a mess. I also know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I don't even know what, what I'm trying to say in a book until like the second or third pass because it's like, you know, the, these big giant worlds and these big giant plots, there there still has to be like a through line, like just a, something that the book is trying to say. And for the second one, I... I've only just figured out what that book, what this book is trying to say. And I've been working on it for a year and a half, but it's just because I was just, you know, I just, I, I had to keep writing. I had to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. <laughs> and now I know what the book's going to say so I can finish it. <laughs> I definitely, definitely understand that. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been throwing spaghetti at a wall for a while and nothing has stuck. So I was like, I'm going to take a break from just- spaghetti at this wall. <laughs> Yeah, it it doesn't always work. Sometimes sometimes it's just a lot of wasted spaghetti. <laughs> a lot of wasted words. A little tired, so I had to take a little Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Crystal. Give me just one moment. I just gotta grab my charger. 
Yeah, no problem. I'll take a quick break. I don't know what's up. I don't know if my laptop. I think I told you before we started. I like, started to uh, whirl yesterday in a really weird okay. way. Okay. Like, scary sounds are scary. I think what I'm gonna actually have to do tonight is take all my Scrivener stuff, and I don't already have moved and move the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your your laptop's giving you a warning, which is nice because they don't always give you a warning. <laughs> Well, now my battery's like, I had a full battery before we started to be lasting at least like two hours, at least, at the very least. And it's like, it was like 1%. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you were just at like 50, like 20 minutes ago. Like, uh -oh. it's, like at the very least. So, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, he's getting ready to die on you. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I just, I like the spaghetti thing. It's, it's like, <laughs> Because, like, you know, I, I like the imagery because you, you are literally, like, trying to get things yeah. and see what stayed, what needs to be gone. So I think that's just, like, a, that's a great matter. Yeah, trying to figure out what what story you want to tell, too, because it's, like, I, I've written I've written some scenes, so many different versions of a scene or even, like, the opening of this book, and, and I can see what that that scene or that opening is setting up to say okay. and i can kind of i can kind of anticipate where i'm i'm gonna go with it and i can decide no i don't think that that's what i want to say this in this book i don't think that's where i want to go like I, I think that's too much this or it doesn't put me in the right direction so yeah there's there's just this figuring out what kind of story you want it to be um, but usually for me, I don't know that until after I've written a bunch of stuff, yeah, which yeah. means that my, my cut folder, my, my cut scenes folder is very full by the end of a book because I just, you know, I just try something and it's better just to try it and to be wrong than to not try it and miss a really good opportunity because I can see the progression of my, my own, creative mind where I try a couple of things and and then from that I'm able to turn some light bulbs on but if I hadn't tried those two or three wrong things first I wouldn't have come to the right decision in the end so yeah taking risks and writing your passion and just generally um keeping an eye on what kind of story you want to tell and if it fits with who you want to be as a writer. That might seem like a, a interesting thing for some people in our audience that are like, how do you not know the story you want to tell if you're somebody like me? 
go in thinking, oh, these characters are going to do this thing, and then you get going, and then you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And then you're like, oh, I have expectations yeah. to fulfill to get these other things to work, and then it just becomes a mess. So, uh, Well, and also, <laughs> you know, I can, I, I, just thinking for Brightwash, I, I started off the story kind of wanting to talk about the cost of convenience, and so I, I that's why I was interested in the rise of industry, because industry industry was built for convenience or convenience, you know, like a chicken yeah. or an egg. Um, so I want, that's what I thought I was going to say about stories or about this story, but what it ended up saying is more a story about how the communities that we live in and the people that we love can see us through a lot of darkness um, and maybe that's the effect of revising a book through <laughs> 2020, but um, it, it doesn't say, I mean, the theme of convenience is still there, but it got uh, kind of upstaged by the theme of, of love and hanging on and um, hope, uh, even though it seems like there's nothing to hope for for a while yeah so speaking of 2020 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but <laughs> yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that though and you know um because uh, i was talking with somebody about theme the other day so it is interesting though that you do have you know that type of theme in your book and you know themes hit people in different you know areas yeah. at different times so um i think some people are down in their book at sometimes if it's not selling, but you just never go later. Like if the theme matches a different time. So I've seen yeah. people where it's like been almost five years since they've written their book, but you know they had a you know similar story of hope or you know something like that, and you know it became really popular the last you know like year year and a half because of the theme. Yeah. And so you know don't don't sell yourself short at times if your themes aren't hitting right off the bat. So yeah, yeah. The, I so long as a book is available, it it could potentially you know really yeah yeah um look at the alchemist right so yeah. uh, you know that i think that was like it's at least what seven years ten years something like that that yeah that, uh bill clinton got a hold of it and then uh all of a sudden like that became a uh you know million copy bestseller you know and it's like that was that's got to be one of the best books i've ever read in my entire life and i mean i can't believe that it sat on shelves for like seven yeah. years yeah you never know yeah, yeah. No, and you gotta wonder if like some there's other books out there like that too you know that are going to be considered oh, yeah. classes, you know, five or ten for years. sure yeah any of them potentially yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of cool you know it's almost like you're gonna win the lottery you just don't know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like but but you don't you don't have a ticket unless you publish no yeah, yeah such, i'm gonna quote you on that <laughs> <laughs> you could win the lottery but yeah, you gotta yeah. get the ticket you gotta publish uh, for that sixth one, I'm really interested to see what you have to say. So I'm going to take the number out, but uh, who are some writers or authors that have most influenced your writing style or maybe just when you read them, you're like, okay, now I have to write. <laughs> so, the, I mean, my first, you know, the first true love um, is David Gemmel. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I came to his books when I was about, I want to say about 12 or so. Um and his his books were what made me want to be a published writer. So it, like I 
I know I was writing before him, but after him, like he was, he was the game changer for me. Specifically, his Regante series, the the one that's kind of based on Scott's um, history. Oh, yeah. Um, but all of them, like they're they're all fantastic. So he's that that first um, the first big inspiration um, when he passed away. Um, I that's when I stopped reading fantasy because I was trying to find new authors and none of the none of them held up none of them uh compared to the way those books made me feel yeah big shoes to fill like it wasn't a fair fight (laughs) but um I I bounced off a lot of the classics that our generation really loves um just because I got Gemmel first and he just (laughs) so (laughs) um so that's the first one. So then when I when I left fantasy, um, that's when I discovered Dennis Lehaney, who's um, a crime writer. He does uh, a series of books that are about a private uh, private investigator duo in Boston, and those books are fantastic. And he does a lot of standalones that are um, have been made into movies, like um, Mystic River. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, what was the other one? Shutter Island is a oh, Dennis okay. Lahaney novel. Um, Gone Baby Gone with uh, Casey oh. Affleck. That's a Dennis Lahaney novel. <laughs> um, I don't have them on my shelf, but there's a, there's a bunch. Um, and he's he's um, a master in making backstory relevant and making it giving it to you at exactly the right moment, just when you're starting to wonder he gives you just a little bit more. And I think that's a skill that a lot of fantasy writers um, can appreciate because, you know, backstory becomes really important sometimes in fantasy. And his books are just a study in perfect timing (laughs) of what's gone on before um, and why you need to know that right now and how much that changes the story every time he drops a new one out. Okay. All right. So then, uh, I gotta remember where I was. Oh, you were saying um with the okay was like a master at um yeah like bringing those things into the plot at the right time. Yeah, backstory. Yeah, he was he was amazing. Um, and I I I burned through all of his books. Uh, he did he did one historical fiction novel that was about um the the um Boston police riot in 1919 um and it is an excellent book um so it's historical instead of fantasy but i still recommend it to people because just the way he layers in um all that backstory stuff and you know and the police officer um and i mean i I guess I recommend it cautiously now because it also deals with the Spanish flu. So it probably feels a little bit too relevant, but it's, it's such an amazing novel. And then, so when I was away from fantasy for too long, I really started to miss it and I wanted to come back and write in the genre again. And just by chance, I was in a bookstore one day and I picked up one of Anthony Ryan's novels 
And in his acknowledgments at the start, he said that he also started writing because of David Gemmel. So that felt like it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so those novels got me back into the genre after being away. And then getting onto Twitter got me into um, indie fantasy. Mm. And I can't possibly keep up with how amazing um, the scene is right now. But I have to shout out to Angela Board, who was probably one of my earliest um, beta reads. So I read I read Fortune's Fool um, while she was editing it. And I learned so much about what I wanted to be as a writer from reading her book um, and then reading it again once it was published. <laughs> and <laughs> now I'll, I'll read anything she gives me. I don't care. <laughs> um, so she's she's a she's a writer that kind of refills my creativity where um, we're similar enough, but ever so slightly different. So I'll see her tackle something and I'll just be blown away by how skillfully she does it. But then I'll also be like, hmm, that gives me an idea. I'd like to try something like that too. And of course my take is totally and completely different because you know we draw inspiration differently. But um, so she's a writer that I, I love to read and I love her books so much. Um, but then also she she makes me want to write in a really really cool way so absolutely shout out to her and her amazing books um i i could i could babble about books forever but i think that covers the big milestones for me that's awesome it's funny that you said um david because um like sean crow talked a lot about him and um, yeah, yeah sean and i had an interview earlier in october um and i was like oh yeah you know like i probably like the next day went and bought like five or six of Gamel's books um and I'm about to get to them I'm on indie right now but <laughs> in February um but yeah like I I the, what I read of Legend um the first like couple oh, of chapters I was like okay I gotta get back to this I shouldn't have started it because then I like knew I was gonna have to come back to it but I just wanted to see what the fuss was about and I was like okay the easy I have um quite a few of those set for my summer reads um, you know, just to kind of propel me in the summer and like a rocket. So trying to strategically play some. He, he's a neat writer to track his growth um, through his career. He, he was quite prolific. I think I think he's got about 30 or so fantasy novels out. Um, and Legend was published in the 80s and he was publishing up until 2006, I think, is when he passed away. And it's just incredible to watch him shift his focus but then at the same time the themes that he writes about stay through and the sort of characters that he writes kind of stays through his whole career but just just his skills just absolutely at like grow at an exponential arc so legend is 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 an excellent place to start and then it, in my opinion it just gets better and better from there as he goes on so he's a he's a he's a really good writer. So I I'm always happy to hear people picking him up. Well, I was like, I can't do this. I was like, I had some friends that I was like trying to get on for um, for our YouTube uh, channel, yeah. for, you know, for blurbs and stuff like that and reviews. And I was like, I'm like trying to get them out of the way. And 
you know, like I'm trying to enjoy them, but I was like, well, if I was like, if I do this now, it's like, it's going to be hard, you know? And I was like, I'm going to wait a little bit, but yeah, like I read the first two chapters and I was like, oh, this is definitely my type of fantasy. So I was glad that Sean Crow uh, uh, referenced him on our podcast because he's one too. It's like, oh, he really got me to write. And I think it's like, so you're, you're like one of five that have said like, that was like their first time in love. So yeah, yeah, he he's he's not quite as as well known as some of the big classics that we uh people talk about so much but the people that know seem to like really know (laughs) yeah no that's really cool um for that last one there uh do you have any news updates promos any current projects that you can talk about i know that's something you can't talk about now (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean i'm i'm definitely i'm working on the um the sequel so legacy of brick and bone is what's coming out next um um it's it's going really well people are are asking people are worried because brightwash ends on kind of a cliffhanger (laughs) and i know i know how risky that was and i'm not sorry (laughs) because yeah so it it's it's going to come out this year i have um my my uh, early cover sketches in from my cover artist which are amazing um and then I, I, I've got a lot of side projects that I'd like to continue exploring um, the Dominion with. So some standalone novels that'll hopefully be a little bit shorter. So it's just kind of a new, um, what am I trying to say? A new entry into the series. So people can take a chance on something a bit shorter, I think. Um, so one of them, yeah, one of them that I'm working on um once again, mixing my subgenres is a little bit of Western, a little bit of horror, a little bit of uh, outdoor survivalisms, um, and of course, it's in the winter. <laughs> um, called Coyote. Um, I'm looking forward to getting more time with that. And then um, another thing that I'm very excited about is the anthology that I was invited to participate in. Um, it's called the Alchemy of Sorrow. And it's Virginia McLean's uh, passion project. Um, yeah, it it the theme that we were writing to was grief, but somehow it very much became um, an anthology about hope. Um, and um, we're we're all <laughs> very emotional and very excited about it. And um, we have funded it 100% on Kickstarter, and now we're into the stretch goals. Um, like, um, uh, we're going to fund an audiobook that will be available for anybody who funded from the ebook um, and up. So we're really hoping we hit the audiobook stretch goal just to make it accessible as accessible as possible. So I'll uh, I'll definitely send a link for the Kickstarter <laughs> so that anybody interested can come take a look. And if you fund at the uh, ebook level, then you get the audiobook if it funds. So that's that's something really exciting. Um, and just th- that project has been really um, cathartic and emotional and and really beautiful. Um, we kind of proved our own title where we all came together writing about grief and, and sorrow, but out of it has come something that's giving us all a lot of joy um, and community. So um, anyone who's read Brightwash, um, my story in that is from Ishmael's point of view. So um, my my brat gets center stage. 
<laughs> there are there are a lot of Ishmael fans, so I, I think they'll like it. Um, I think that's about all. That's about all I've got. Wow, that's awesome. That's a lot of stuff right there. That's really <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah, a lot of people that'll be really excited to hear that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, Crystal, thank you so much. You guys won't ever see any of it on the podcast or be listening to it, but Crystal and I had a lot of tech issues today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we persevered. <laughs> so it just goes to show you in this time of need, yeah. you know, in our, you know, in our world that if you really want to come together and, you know, work, yeah, if, it will happen. <laughs> if you're passionate about something, um, you'll, you'll reconnect 16 times and yeah. make it happen. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's just awesome. Now we have a great story, though, right? For our first podcast yeah. together. So yeah, it was very memorable. <laughs> yeah, they'll never forget. <laughs> My tech guy, I'm gonna get done. I'm gonna call him and shoot. Like I swear to God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, though, Crystal, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, uh, thank you very much for inviting me. And everything. Um, want to have you on for a while. So I'm so glad we could get you on for February. She wrote. Uh, those of you that are listening, please make sure you check out Crystal's socials. They will be in the description for if you're listening to it on uh, RSS feed or Spotify. Also, it'll be in the description for the YouTube channel. You guys can also now go to our updated website. Uh, it's actually just my website, www.danafootball.com. Uh, it's C-O-O-L, the is in boy, A-U-G-H. Uh, you can look it up on Twitter. I got the link right there. It's nice because I have the February She Wrote tab. You can actually find this episode with Crystal right there. Uh, and then you can actually go and look at all of our other past ones for February She Wrote and for the channel so far. Uh, so please make sure you're also checking out those author's descriptions because that's where really we want you guys to go. Uh, so like I said, you can find Crystal's books, her socials and things like that right in that description. Again, Crystal, I want to thank you for coming on and it's been a pleasure. Look forward to having you again soon. And not so many tech problems. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> it was still worth it, though. <laughs> I actually learned a lot myself, and I'm actually going to go listen to this in about a week and take my own notes. So. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm glad. <laughs> and I look forward to uh, reading Legacy of Brightwash myself. Oh, thank you. I, I hope you enjoy it, and I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, you have a great rest of the night, Crystal, and we will talk to you. You too. Thank okay. you so much. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye.